Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues on in the Bible series on the book of Romans with part one of this message entitled, The Wretched Man Becoming a Saint. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Help us, O Lord, to understand the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. May we proclaim the gospel in such a way that people will look up and see the crucified one and ask question, how come this sinless, eternal Son of God and the Son of Man, how come he was crucified? And the answer, Christ died for our sins and was raised for our justification. And every true believer will glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Turn to this text, Romans seven fourteen through 25. The wretched man becoming a saint. God never makes anyone his saint unless he cries out, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? In my exposition, I am in general agreement with the church fathers of the first three centuries of the Christian era and modern scholars like Martin Lloyd Jones and Dr. Douglas Moo and a number of others. And I am not subscribing to the view of my own seminary, including my professor, Dr. John Murray. The question we must ask is, whose experience Paul is describing in Romans 7, 7 through 25? Is he describing his own experience at the time of the writing of the epistle to the Romans, or his own experience before he was born again. Does this passage describe the normal Christian life, or the life of a sinner under the conviction of sin, and yet not born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit? You notice the word grace, or the word Holy Spirit, do not appear in this text. We see a man who is aware of what is right and what is sinful, yet he is not sometimes, but always ends up doing the wrong thing. This is a person to whom the law came, he told us in chapter 7 and verse 9, The law came to him, came home to him in its full meaning and power by the operation of the Spirit. So he said, when the law came to him, sin revived and I died. Romans 7, 14 through 25 is speaking about the same person. 
to whom the law came. He no longer says concerning the righteousness of the law, perfect. Those happy days are over for him. The law of God came home to him and it condemned him. He died. He's a sinner. So we are not reading about a Christian who enjoys the freedom of posse non peccare. That is possible not to sin. That is the freedom of a true believer. Romans 7, 7 through 25 describes a sinner under conviction of sin yet has no freedom. He is a prisoner of sin. It can be said of him, non posse, non peccare. That is not possible not to sin, meaning he can only sin in the morning, at noon, and in the evening. The church fathers saw in this text an unregenerate person, especially in the first three centuries of the church. The reformers generally following St. Augustine thought it spoke of a normal Christian. Even a Christian at his best. This view of the reformers, in my view, is in some degree responsible for the lifelessness and the spirit of antinomianism of the evangelical church. Such a view contributed to the dead orthodoxy of the 17th century, which the pietists opposed. Romans 7, 14 through 25 is not a new section. In 7, 7 through 25, Paul speaks of the law, what it can do and what it cannot do. The law cannot justify, neither can the law sanctify. It is weak because of our sin nature. It cannot impart life. It cannot cause you to obey the law. It reveals our sin. It condemns sinners and so on. Friends, I already said what Martin Lloyd-Jones said next to God. Sin is the greatest power in the universe. And law is powerless before this mighty sin. So I say, Romans 7, 14 through 25, is not an analysis of Paul at the time of writing or a description of a Christian at his best. Here Paul is describing himself and us under conviction of sin and yet not born again. He is aware of his sin and his complete moral importance and failure. He is aware of the great power of sin. Yet freedom of the gospel he is not aware of. It is probably describing his pre-conversion experience prior to his baptism by Ananias. Professor F.F. F. Bruce says, here is a picture of life under the law without the aid of the Spirit. 
portrayed from the perspective of one who has now experienced the liberating power of life in the spirit. Or your spirit of Reformation Bible. Page 1821, we read Paul is describing in a dramatic fashion a transitional experience of his own of one who has been awakened to his true spiritual need but who has not yet entered the full relief of justification by grace. So we see in Romans 7, 7 through 25, no reference to grace, no reference to Holy Spirit, and no reference to Christ. Firstly, I want to, you to take a look at the key verse in this section, which is chapter 7 and verse 14. 7.15 through 25 simply explains this key verse. This verse gives reason for verse 13. Notice it starts by saying for. He knows the law is holy, just, and good. If the law is good, how come I died when the law came to me? How come it is ministering to me death? Did that which is good then become death to me? Verse 13. Not at all. Sin is responsible for our death. Through the law, God accomplishes a purpose of unmasking sin. To make sin appear in its true color. Utterly corrupt, utterly foul. So in verse 14, Paul says, Don't blame God's law. It is holy, just, good, and now spiritual pneumaticos. That is, the law proceeds from the Holy Spirit. God is spirit, so the law is spiritual. It is given by the Holy Spirit. That is, the problem is not with the law, but it is with us. We are sinful. Point number two in this verse. He says, the law is spiritual, but I am sarkinos, carnal. Not partly carnal, but wholly carnal. I am all flesh in its weakness, especially because... Of sin. I am conditioned by sin. I am an inadam man. I am a fallen man. Remember in chapter 7, verse 5, he, he said, When we were in the flesh, there he spoke as a born again, spirit indwelt man. When we were in the flesh, meaning we are no longer. In the flesh. He was in the spirit. Able to bring forth fruit to God. Able to serve God in the newness of the spirit. So 7.14 through 25. Describes himself as one still in the flesh. Incapable of. 
bringing forth fruit of obedience to God. Look at Romans 6 and verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You used to be slaves of sin, but no longer. Romans 6 verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But no longer you are slaves to sin. Or Romans 8 verse 9, you however are controlled not by the flesh, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So the third thing about this verse is sold, sold under sin, sold. And you read this business of selling. If you look at First Kings 21 and verse 20, Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil. In the eyes of the Lord. And Second Kings 17 verse 17. The Israelites sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sorcery. And sold themselves. To do evil in the eyes of, eyes of the Lord. Provoking him to anger. Sold. I am sold as a slave to sin. What he says is sin is my master. I am in a state of slavery, perfect passive participle. I am in the state of slavery from which I cannot redeem myself. I am under sin's dominion. Sin is sovereign over me. I need a redeemer who can buy me out of the marketplace of slavery to sin. And the fourth point, I am sold. Under sin. Under sin. That is, he acknowledges I am under the rule and authority and power of sin. But we are told before, a Christian is not under sin. He is not under law. He is not under death. He is under grace. King grace governs his life in righteousness. Romans 5 verse 21, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But here he says, he's sold under sin. And the fifth point I want to make about this key verse, verse 14, by implication. Paul is saying, I am not spiritual. The law is spiritual. I am carnal. My problem is, I am not spiritual. A believer is spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2.15 The spiritual man, that is the believer, makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. A believer is spirit-born. He has divine nature. He is spirit indwelt. He is spirit taught, spirit led, and spirit powered to be able to bring forth fruit to God through obedience. 
So Romans 7, 7 through 25, he's not speaking about a spiritual man. He's not speaking about a believer. He's speaking about a man who is carnal soul under sin. Secondly, let's look at 15 through 25. I want to make some propositions. Now, as I already said, 15 through 25 explains and explicates and describes the key verse 14. So look at verse 15. It says these things. I do not know what I'm doing. That is, I do not approve it. Then he says, what I desire, this I do not practice. Not sometimes. I do not practice at any time. I can only sin. Then he says, on the contrary, what I hate, this I do, this I practice. Not sometimes, but always. So notice he is a non-posse, non-pecare man. I find myself doing not, not what I disapprove, but what I hate. Strong language. Look at verse 16. It says, I am doing what I do not purpose or desire or will or want. Present tense. I look at verse 17 and 20. So he makes a certain conclusion. If this is so that I do what I don't desire, and I do what I hate, then it is not I, but sin indwelling in me is doing this evil. Now, don't misunderstand. He is, he is not saying I am not to be blamed. This sin, most powerful, this sin, which is most powerful next to God in the universe, is a permanent resident in me. Here he's speaking about a sin-possessed, sin-controlled person. This indwelling sin defeats my purpose, my will. This sin does what I do not will. I cannot overcome it. I am its born slave. He tells this again in verse 20. The sin is not outside me, in the environment. It is inside me, making me do its will over against mine. It is not Holy Spirit dwelling in, in me. It is not Christ dwelling in me. It is sin in all its power is dwelling in me. And as boss, he is the sin is running my life. Look at verse 18. Not only sin is dwelling in me, I also know for sure nothing good is dwelling in me that is in my flesh. Something good of greater power must dwell in me to oppose and conquer this indwelling sin. But... He says, nothing good dwells in me. I am not born again. I do not have divine nature. I do not have Holy Spirit dwelling in me. And this is not what he said in Romans 5, verse 5. 
And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Or 1 Corinthians 7, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And number 19, it says, I do not do the good I will. On the contrary, the reality is the evil kakon. Evil I do not will. I practice evil. Not once in a while, as some reformers wanted to say. No, always. Verse 21. He says, I discover a law, a principle, in the light of my experience. When I want to do that which is excellent, the law of God, evil is right there, poised to oppose it, and frustrate it, and defeat it. And this evil wins every time. Maybe I'm speaking about the experience of uh, some of you. Verse 23, so he says, I see another law in my body, another law different from and opposed to God's law. What is it doing? Waging war against the law of my mind. That is the law of God. This another law carries a continuous campaign. Against God's law in my mind. A warfare waged against the law of my mind. This different law is opposed to God's law. This different law wins out all the time. It defeats me. It takes me a captive, a prisoner, at the point of a that is what the Greek text says. We say today at the point of a gun. He takes me. So it defeats me and takes me captive and prisoner of sin. Meaning I have no freedom. I cannot save myself. Set myself free from this law of sin and death that is in my members. But that's not the language St. Paul used in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. There he says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of flesh. Sarkika. Allah. On the contrary, Dunata. Powerful. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. Powerful to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension and that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, same word, I malitzo, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There we are seeing a Saint Paul, powerful, born of God, spirit empowered, and a soldier of Christ, enjoying victory over sin. Verse 24, he says, a wretched man I am. 
That is a miserable man I am. My hands are full of callous. That's the word. Talai poros. A miserable man doing hard labor for sin. I am weary and worn out. And sin wants to present sin life, a wonderful life. A life of great joy and happiness. Come and sin with me. No, sir. Wretched man I am. I am sin's bond slave. I am subject to death, which is the wages of sin. I cannot save myself. Who will save me from the law of sin and death? Here Christian Paul surfaces, breaks out in doxology, and answers the question of this miserable, wretched man he has been describing. Man cannot save himself, and no man can save another man, because every man in Adam is a sinner man, a carnal man, a weak man. But thanks be to God. God has a plan to save the wretched, miserable sons and daughters of Adam. God has a plan to make the wretched man into a saint. He has a plan to justify him, sanctify him, and glorify him. God the Father has a plan to bring us to God, to bring sinners to God without their sin, to bring many sons to glory. He has accomplished that eternal plan to make us holy and blameless in and through a mediator, Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, our Lord. Paul had already said this. In chapter 4, verse 25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now he summarizes the life of a sinner unconverted yet under conviction of sin. You see, when God's Holy Spirit comes, the first thing he does is what? Conviction of sin. So when I see people calling themselves Christians, but they have no sense of sin, I see a man not under the work of the Holy Spirit. When he comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. St. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and we read in Acts 2.37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and others, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do to be saved? That trembling Philippian jailer in the middle of the night, he answers, What must I do to be saved? Or look at Acts chapter 9, 17 through 19. And Acts 22, 12 through 16, where St. Paul is describing his own repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother, Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. 
And we are told in, in Acts chapter 9, 17 through 19, we are told that he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And I would say probably he spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And his eyes were open. And he was baptized. So it could be that Romans 7, 7 through 25 is speaking about his own life before his baptism. He was healed. He was filled with the Spirit. His sins were forgiven, baptized in water. So he says, I myself with my mind serve the law of God. This is a summary. This is not true of a pagan. A pagan cannot serve God with his mind. But it can be true of a man under conviction of the Holy Ghost of his sins. But with my flesh I am a slave of sin and sin wins out. So the man of 7, 7 through 25 is a man to whom the law of God came with power. The man who once said he was perfectly righteous as a Pharisee now says sin revived and I died. He says I'm all unrighteousness. I'm a born slave of sin. I'm its prisoner. I do not do what I will. I do what I do not will. I do what I hate. Yea, what is evil, he says. Sin is dwelling in me as a permanent resident. And he is of greater power than my mind. Sin is the boss. No good thing dwells in me, he says. From the slavery to sin. Who will deliver me? This is not a description of normal Christian life. This is no description of Christian life at its best. As some have stated, this is the life of one convicted, not yet converted. One who knows no victory in Jesus. He is not indwelt by the greatest power in the universe, the infinite power of the Holy Spirit, who triumphantly opposed the great yet finite power of sin and Satan. So, as a man, under conviction, he says certain things only a man under conviction can say. He says the law is holy, just, and good, and the law is spiritual. He says, I agree with the law that it is good. He says he wills what is good, but cannot do it. Not only that, he rejoices with the law of God, with his inner man, that is, with his mind. And he also says he serves God with his mind. But friends, the point I am making is, whatever he is doing, this man is incompetent. This man has no freedom. This man has no divine ability to do the will of God. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for saving us. We were wretched men. And no man become a saint of God unless he first cries out. Our spirit enables him. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? And the answer is, thanks be to God. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, a part one of this message entitled, The Wretched Man Becoming a Saint. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthews.